listening to season three episode nine of vixen a black beauty and pop culture podcast if you enjoy what you hear today please leave a review anywhere you listen to podcasts today's episode is on beverly shemeca ash the woman at the center of a love triangle gone wrong in the middle of the 80s drug trade now let's start the show Was there a drug council? Oh, the drug council is a myth. It's, I mean, it's the first time I heard of council was when I was in court in 1983. Guy Fisher, who had a brief affair with Barnes' former girlfriend, Shemeca, was a member of that seven-man drug council, according to Barnes. Fisher is now serving life without parole after Barnes testified against him. You mean to tell me that you can give someone a, a life plus sentence because you said he had sex with my, uh, with my girlfriend? And he's putting people behind bars, helping to make cases for the feds. There is no justice in, in terms of that. Ah, oh, man. I mean, eight years ago, Nick was uh, the scum of earth in terms of court, being in the courtroom, in Judge Workers' court. And then three years ago, he became Robin Hood because he was telling. <laughs> uh, it's really sad. You know, I'm laughing, but it's sad. Hi guys, welcome back to another episode of Vixen. I'm really, really excited about this episode, y'all. This one is going to be a little bit different from our usual because it is a Vixen true crime crossover episode. Yes, 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 yes. So I love history, hence why I have a history podcast. Um, And I also love true crime. And that is actually how I got into listening to podcasts, just from finding different shows that focus on um, different historic accounts. I love a lot of true crime podcasts as well. So that is how I got into listening to them. And then I decided I wanted to do my own podcast. Um, I started off listening to some true crime shows, and then I got into like some old Hollywood shows, um, and then just like some mob history, mafia history. I love that kind of like crime historic account thing. Um, so I thought it would be really fun and interesting to combine both of my interests, both of my loves, black women, um, and a little bit of true crime as we close out this season and just do an episode that kind of where the two meet in the middle, if that makes sense. So I hope you guys like this episode. It's going to be a little bit different, but hopefully y'all enjoy it. I think it's a good story, um, and something that needs to be shared. So let's get into it. So this story is interesting because this woman was the reason one drug lord turned on his protege. But unfortunately, there's not a lot of information on her early life or really much of her life at all. It's very hard to find like good, concrete, solid information on her. Um, so unfortunately, I'm going to have to start the story off by talking about two men. I know, I know. It pained me as I was writing it. <laughs> but I have to start the story off to tell you about the two men who were also at the center of this love triangle because it's going to make more sense when Shemeca comes in. So let's go. Leroy Nikki Barnes was born on October 15th, 1933 in New York City. Nikki, as he was affectionately called, started selling drugs in his Harlem neighborhood at a very young age. It seems like he might have started from what I read, maybe around like 12 or 13. 
By the time he was 17, he was selling and indulging in heroin. Um, So he was doing it and selling it. He served multiple sentences in jail at various points of his life. Um, He was released in 1954 after serving three years. Then he goes back in 1959 and serves another three years. And then he goes back again in 1966 and is released um, five years later in 1971. So this particular stint, his very last one, he becomes friends with some folks in the mafia allegedly um this person was crazy joey gallo of the colombo crime family and a few other folks that had connections to the mob um and nikki was inspired from meeting them to create his own organization based on their values nikki quickly joined back into the drug trade as soon as he got out of jail thanks to his newfound ties to the colombo crime family and the lucchesi crime family i'm always concerned if i'm pronouncing that one right i'm pretty sure it's lucchesi um just a few years later nikki was the richest and biggest black drug lord in the country um in june 1977 he was on the cover of the new york times with the headline mr untouchable i'm sure you guys have seen this cover Uh, i feel like everybody's seen it at least once um but if you haven't go ahead and look it up and mr untouchable he was known as that because of his penchant for evading prosecution like i said he had served like a couple years in jail um randomly and i think he had got off a couple times at this time as well so he just like i don't know he was untouchable basically and appearing on the new york times as a literal criminal is just i mean this is probably one of the boldest moves an american drug dealer has ever made like by far it's just like who does that you know what i mean and if you've seen american gangster then you know um a little bit about nikki barnes because this type of flashiness was the reason why frank lucas who um american gangster is about did not like being associated with nikki because if you remember from the movie spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't seen it frank lucas is like a very um subdued guy he's like low-key he's not super flashy um nothing like that i and i think if i remember correctly doesn't he end up getting caught because he decides to finally wear like a big fur coat somewhere i don't remember but i know like that's like part of the story so frank lucas is like the anti nikki barnes nikki barnes is like everything um that the 70s is all about remember last episode with beverly johnson we were talking about how like the 70s were really just like flashy and loud and gaudy he is the like best example of that that i can think of so yes y'all see the picture i'm trying to paint here this man is just he messy he's a messy messy man (laughs) um and as his success grew nikki never lost sight of his vision of a black version of the italian mafia and this is where the council was born And the council was basically a board, I'm using my quote fingers right now, Um, it was basically a board of powerful black drug dealers from different parts of the city. Guy Fisher was born on July 21st, 1947 in the South Bronx. He was known for getting into fights around the neighborhood and served two years at a reformatory school as a teenager. After he was released, he had a few odd jobs. He did try to go um, straight. I think he was working at a meat shop and a couple other places before he got sick of that. And he contacted some old friends and he bought heroin off of them for him to sell. At this time, Guy started dating Olive McDonald, who introduced him to Nikki Barnes. He saw potential in Guy and took him under his wing, and then Guy became Nikki's personal driver. In no time, Guy was a key member of the council. Now, 
in interviews and i'm gonna put a clip i believe in the beginning of guy fisher an interview with guy fisher he says the council did not exist like this just was not real um but it said that like you know he kind of took over the operation later on we'll get into that later but yeah he i just want to throw in like he says that this thing the council nikki made that up but anyway um, another fun fact about Guy, Guy was making so much money once he rose like pretty much to the top of the food chain alongside Nikki, uh, that he was able to fund the renovations for the Apollo and that made him the first and only black owner of the Apollo ever, which is crazy. Like when you think about how the Apollo is such a central part of black culture and Harlem culture, and there was only ever like one black owner, it's just it's crazy, but yes, that's how much money he was allegedly making from the drug trade. When Nikki was arrested again in 1978, Guy took over the operation and became the new top dog in New York, and he started to run the council. At this time, Guy began dating Beverly Ash, who was known as Shemeca. There was only one problem with this pairing, though. Nikki was already dating Shemeca. <sighs> Dun, dun, dun. Okay, so now on to our girl. Beverly Shemeca Ash was born in 1956. Um, she's sometimes referred to as Shemeca Brown, but I think she was using that as an alias um, for when she was around certain people, if you know what I mean. I think Shemeca might be her middle name, but I couldn't clarify, and I'm not sure of her exact birthday, but I know she's born in 1956. Um, like I said, not much is known about her early life, but here's what I do know. Shemeca was a bad bitch, okay? in every sense of the word. She was beautiful, she was smart, she had a great personality, all of the above. Another thing that I know about her is like she was very, very into fashion. Um, she did compete in balls around the city a couple of times. Um, she just was, she was a bad bitch, like I said. Um, but one of her vices was that she liked to date big time drug dealers. Nikki was not her first um, rodeo. <laughs> uh, she was known for that and that's just you know the kind of men that she liked to date now Nikki was married this whole time and here he is mad but anyway Nikki had already been married to Thelma Grant which is who is a whole other story I think maybe one day I'll do an episode on her actually no I don't like her story at all I probably won't <laughs> Y'all let me know if y'all want me to, but I don't like her story at all. But yes, Nikki was married to a woman named Thelma Grant throughout his whole relationship with Shemeca. Um, and although he was a married man, he had many, many, many mistresses. Um, but it's probably safe to say that Shemeca was his favorite. So like I said earlier, Shemeca liked dating drug dealers, but she also liked helping them out with hits and setups and things like that. Um, she helped set up Nikki's rival, um, Black Ronnie, in 1981. So Nikki knew that Black Ronnie would be at a disco club called Reflections in Midtown Manhattan this one particular night. So he sends Shemeca there to get Ronnie to lower his guard. Y'all know how dealers will typically sit in like a section instead of being like out in, in the open at the clubs or they'll just be like somewhere sitting down. I guess that's what Black Ronnie and his bodyguard Big Ray Ray were doing. Do you know just minding their business? And then Shemeca convinces them to come out on the dance floor um, and dance with her. And then they were executed in the middle of the club, like right there in the middle while everybody's dancing and that is always the insane thing about like the 70s to me with the discos so many people got shot at discos which is crazy because when you think about like it's not funny r.i.p to both of them but when you think about how like upbeat and happy 
discos are that is the perfect place um and the perfect like type of music to get someone to lower their guard so that you can literally catch them lacking like it's just it's insane how many people died to disco music i feel like every time we see a movie about that time especially if it's like crime related you always see like if somebody walks in on like a murder scene there's always like some disco in the background or we see like the shootouts the shootouts at the disco club it's just like just that kind of irony it just gets me every time like what a horrible way to go out but at least they were dancing to some good music so things were going well between shemeca and nikki this is all before nikki goes to to prison in 1978 y'all by the way if y'all didn't realize that this is all before um so Shemeca brought her brother Steve Ash in and introduced him to Nikki which was a big mistake and we're going to see why so Nikki then introduced Steve to um Gambino crime family associate Mark Rader writer I think it's writer so Mark is a Jewish man and that is why he's an associate of the Gambinos and not an actual member because I don't know if you guys know this but to be a made man you have to be Italian I think they make exceptions sometimes but I think it's very rare like you have to be um, Italian to be a made man and if you're not you just kind of like are affiliated with the mob so this guy Mark was basically a drug supplier and he worked with Nikki's nephew Eugene Mikey Romero and a lot of the Gambino crime family so that is how they all got connected not even a year later after these two are introduced, Steve and Mark fall out over a $150,000 debt that Steve owed. And it, this left Steve in shambles. He actually had to try to pay it back by giving Mark his Mercedes, like the pink slip, the keys, all of that. This man had no money left over, y'all. Like, no money. He was making big money with them for like a couple of months. And then he takes the money. I guess he borrowed some money. And then it was just like gone um and him giving his mercedes that barely made a dent in what he owed apparently so it just was like beef ever ever since now remember when nikki was giving orders to shemeca and her brother from the inside she was also seeing guy fisher the council's new leader so this gets back to Nikki while he's in jail and he was so mad at Guy and even more upset because nobody in the council told Guy it was wrong. He hatches a plan for the ultimate revenge. He decides to work as an informant in exchange for less time and witness protection. Wow. Wow, 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 wow. This is what sends him over the edge him as a married man a married man with multiple mistresses you're going to literally throw everybody under the bus everybody including Shemega, which we'll see we'll get to in a minute um because you mad so you're married and you're in jail why do you care but anyway so he decides to work as an informant, y'all. And this man honestly chose violence. He started to tell on everybody that he could, including Shemeca, like I said. And here are some condensed quotes from his statement and court case. Barnes testified that he and Herbert Sperling agreed that Beverly Ash would meet with Nicholas Sperling to carry out a narcotics transaction at the stage delicacin, uh, delicacy, y'all know that word, <laughs> in Midtown Manhattan. <laughs> So I don't know about y'all, but quarantine has done a number on my skin. 
I'm trying to be outside this summer once I get this vaccine so I want to be glowing glistening all of that so I was lucky enough to get sent a package of products from a Foco skin and I've been using them for about a month now and I absolutely love their stuff y'all so they sent me the black soap foaming face wash the dream serum and I have their jade roller set I have been loving this stuff y'all I wash my face with the face wash I use the jade roller and I use the dream serum after just to put some moisture back into my face love it it is so nice perfect for the summer you know in the spring and summer months you don't want to be using products that are really heavy or strip your skin of a lot of moisture you want to make sure your face feels nice and clean and then add that moisture back in and these products are perfect so not only are the products great the packaging is beautiful top tier 10 out of 10 they have great shipping great customer service and it's black owned y'all and it's black woman owned y'all know how we feel about black women over here so you know i was hyped to try their products i want you guys to get a chance to try a foco skin as well so i'm gonna give you guys my discount code to get 10 percent off your purchase the code is vixen10 that's v-i-x-e-n-1-0 go ahead and check out their lovely website check out their instagram check out their reviews and let them know that the vixen podcast sent you According to Barnes, Ash and Nicholas Sperling were to carry Life magazines as a recognition signal. Immediately after this discussion with Herbert, Barnes called the DEA and reported on the proposed heroin deal. On February 11, 1982, DEA agent Stanley Morrissey observed Ash at the stage, at, at the stage <laughs> carrying a Life magazine. Nicholas Sperling entered with a folded magazine, left after a few minutes, returned without the magazine, and seated himself across from Ash. Sperling placed a white piece of paper in front of Ash and left a few minutes later. About a week after that meeting, DEA agent Robert Baker, posing as a heroin buyer, was introduced to Ash. Ash discussed a possible sale with Baker and gave him a list of heroin prices. Weeks later, she gave him another price list and a sample of heroin. According to Barnes, Herbert Sperling told him later that Nicholas Sperling had passed a sample of heroin to Ash. Early on April 15, 1982, Ash called Baker to tell him she was going to meet her source at noon that day. From 11.35 a.m. when Ash left her apartment until 2 p.m. when she returned, she remained alone except for a 12.15 p.m. meeting with Nicholas at the stage. No heroin was passed during that meeting and Sperling left within 10 minutes of seeing Ash. At about 2 p.m., Baker called Ash and learned that Ash's source had agreed to sell Baker four ounces of heroin. Ash discussed the proposed sale with Baker several times before and after the April 15th meeting and referred to her source as a young guy and as Nick or Nikki. The proposed sale never materialized, however. End quote. So, told y'all, this man was singing like a canary. The DA agents got in on it. They started observing everybody, um, surveilling everybody. It just, it was a lot. Both Chemeka, who was 27 at the time, and Nicholas Sperling, who was 23 at this time, were indicted on the charge of conspiring to sell heroin. When the charges from this statement went to trial, Nicholas was convicted of conspiring to sell heroin, and then they added on another charge of heroin possession. Chemeka, however, had a different fate. So around October 1982, word starts to hit the streets that Nikki Barnes had become an informant. Mark, the Jewish man that I was talking about earlier that was associated with the mafia, he was livid, y'all. He was very, very mad. 
He immediately calls Nikki's nephew, Eugene, Mikey Romero, to a meeting, and he puts a hit out on Shemeca, Steve, her brother, and Steve's bodyguard, Barry Bones Wilson. Here are some condensed quotes from the murder case. This isn't from the same case that I read from before. This is the murder case. And by the way, the Jackson person that they're referring to in these quotes is James Jackson. He is Mikey's partner. Um, who I believe was like his right-hand man, and then he became an informant as well. So here we go. At that second meeting, Ryder told Romero, I got some bad news for you. Your uncle is cooperating with the government, and with his cooperation, he could hurt a lot of people, including myself. Not only that, Shemeca knows Stephen got drugs from me, and they could also hurt me. You got to get rid of them. Romero, who had previously told Jackson that he would never kill a black man on the order of a white man, nonetheless agreed to carry out Ryder's orders to kill his uncle's girlfriend and her brother and explained to Jackson, man, I'm going to do what I have got to do, end quote. On December 13th, 1982, Shemeca was shot to death inside of the Monarch Bar in Manhattan by one of Mikey's enforcers, Raymond Romar Clark. Here's another quote from that murder case. At around that time, Romero had warned Jackson to stay away from the Monarch Bar because there was going to be trouble up there. A few days after that warning, Clark told Jackson he was responsible for the murder. Clark explained that he had walked with a hunched back and had worn a white mask so that he would be mistaken for a white man. Romero also discussed the killing of Beverly Ash with Jackson and told Jackson that they now had to get Stephen. So here are some more quotes from the case against Clark, who is... Shemeca's actual killer not the, the one before was with Mikey but this one is her actual killer so this is in Q&A form so I'm going to read it as so so just you and Romar were alone when you had the conversation right would you tell us what Romar said Romar said that was my work the other night up in the monarch bar with Shemeca that was me red alert that was my work and then he went to the closet and pulled out a rubber mask white face dark hair with the eyes cut out and the nose cut out and he put it on he also took out a dark trench coat and he put it on and he says you want to see how I did it and he came up to me and he said yes they think it was a white guy it wasn't a white guy it was me red alert and he came up to me and he had his back hunched and he said I walked in with my back hunched down and she was sitting at the bar stool and I just shot her. This is a question. What type of mask was it that the defendant Clark was wearing? It was like one of those Halloween masks, a rubber mask with dark hair, Caucasian color with the eyes and nose cut out that you could slip over your head. End quote. Let's just take a moment. Like it, this is just, it's just so sad, you know? It's really, 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 really unfortunate that Shemeca was tied up in this, um, but we'll talk more about that later. Back to the story. Shortly after Shemeca's murder, Romero killed the bodyguard, Bones Wilson, by slitting his throat. The three spent the next three months searching for Steve, Shemeca's brother, who did not come to his sister's funeral. They actually were unsuccessful in finding him for a hot minute. Like I said, it took about three months until he did something stupid, aka contacting someone. And I feel like every time people go on the run or they're hiding from someone, they always end up being found because they contact or they call somebody. So that is basically what what happened here and here are some more condensed quotes from that case a few months after the murder of Barry Wilson Stephen Ash contacted James Jackson and told Jackson that he did not know who had killed his sister and that his lieutenant 
Barry Wilson, was missing. Ash gave Jackson his beeper number, which Jackson passed on to Romero. A few days later, Romero contacted Jackson to inform him that Ash was on his way to an apartment, which the racketeers had used as a mill and stash pad. At that time, the apartment was being occupied by two women who processed heroin for the enterprise, Adrian Holiday and Karen Jenkins and their daughters. At Romero's direction, Jackson picked up Holiday, Jenkins, and their children and took them to a hotel. By that time, Romero and his girlfriend, Sharice Walker, and Raymond Clark had arrived at the apartment. Ash was ushered into the bedroom where Romero was sitting at the edge of the bed. Clark came up behind Ash and shot him in the head. Romero and Clark placed the body into garbage bags with weights from a gymnastics set they had found in the apartment, and they placed the body in the trunk of a car. On June 9th, 1983, Ash's body, wrapped in blankets and plastic, was discovered floating near the Pier 42 at Norton and West Streets. Raymond Clark acknowledged in 1987 to Larry Taylor, with whom he had dealt cocaine, that he had killed Beverly and Stephen Ash, although he said that he had been reluctant to kill Beverly Ash because he liked her. End quote. Both Mark and Mikey were sentenced to life in prison for drugs, racketeering, and murder in 1988. Mikey died in 2005, and Mark is still locked up today. Guy was convicted in 1984 under the RICO law, but he is now known as Dr. Guy Fisher because he got a PhD in sociology while he was behind bars. Um, he was released dur during the COVID-19 pandemic, so he is home now. Um, Nikki Barnes was released in 1998 after 20 years served, and then he died in the Witness Protection Program in 2012. Um, the other guys, I could have looked them up, but didn't want to because, honestly, respectfully, F them. Like, truly. Like, <laughs> Clark, the others, F them. It, we spent too much time talking about men in this episode, but it was vital to tell that in order to tell Shemekka's story. So, let's talk about Shemekka. So, unfortunately, that is the story of Beverly Shemeca Ash, y'all. Um, there are no, even though there are no winners in this situation at all, all of the men involved in this, um, besides, you know, Steve and the bodyguard, all of these men got a second chance at life while serving their time in prison. Um, and she never got that chance, you know, uh, she was indicted on those charges with the heroin possession. Um, but if she had lived, she probably would have went to jail and gotten out and been able to start her life over like a lot of them were able to do. And, you know, these were grown men all older than her. And I mean, let me just say she was 27 when she passed, which is old enough to know right from wrong. But still, she died when she was the same age as me now, which is very scary. Um, but she got no mercy for making mistakes in her twenties. Like, like I said, I understand like she was 27 and like, that's definitely far old enough to know, like, it's not good to get wrapped up with drug dealers and what they're doing. Um, but you know, it, it's just a shame that she was just a casualty of war instead of being treated like, um, I don't know. Like, I, I just think like women should not, as men, you shouldn't even allow women to be involved in that kind of mess. But we see Nikki Barnes clearly has no loyalty at all. Um, like I said earlier about his wife, Thelma Grant, her story is very sad. She actually spent, I believe, 10 years in prison behind Nikki as well. So honestly, I think both of them would have ended up in jail, both Shemeca and um, his wife, Thelma Grant. But I mean, still, she never even got that chance to um, you know, rehabilitate her life and turn things around. So 
I just, I like, when I look at pictures of her, she looks so vibrant and happy and fun and fashionable. And like the way that she died is just so crazy. I mean, that kind of execution style. I've, I, there's a lot of women who have been involved in, you know, the drug trade with these guys. And I've read about a lot of them and some of them have passed. Some of them didn't, but to be executed in that way, like in a bar like that, that's typically how a lot of the men die that are in that, that game. So it's just, it was eerie when I read about the way she was executed in that bar like that. Um, I'm glad they figured out who did it and, you know, he's serving his time for it, but it's just such a shame. Um, I personally don't like the term cautionary tale. I don't like it. I think that it like not trivializes women's stories, but I I just, I don't like that term for whatever reason. But I do think like this is a story that kind of shows you how permanent the effects of getting wrapped up quote unquote in the wrong crowd as our parents say can be. Um, but it also shows you just how unfair life is, man, just for all, for all of us, but for black women, um, you know, the women in this situation really, really suffered. Shemeca, uh, Thelma, um, you know, it's just, it's a shame. I mean, I wish that there was more to this story. I wish that I knew more about Shemeca. I wish that, you know, I, I would have been, I tried to like find, um, relatives of her to possibly interview, but I wasn't successful in that. Um, but I wish I knew more about like who she was outside of what happened in this unfortunate situation. Um, but I hope like just posting her photos and sharing, um, you know, her images and stuff is enough for us to see her as more than a person who just got wrapped up with the wrong guy, the wrong crowd. Um, and just like as a vibrant young woman who was living her life, I mean, we see things like this all the time with just young women who just, you know, doing what they want, dating the guys they want to date, getting the perks and whatever it is they want. It's just, it ended really, really badly for Shemeca, unfortunately. But hopefully just like seeing her images and seeing how lively she was will help, um, you know, you guys see her as more than just a woman that this happened to. And I wanted to do a story on her for a while. I first saw a photo of her somewhere like in some thread I think it was in like a Twitter thread about Nikki Barnes and I was like oh my god this woman is so beautiful love her style she just was so radiant and I looked her up and I was like Jesus like when I saw what had happened to her um but I did some research on it like last year when I saw it but I was like this wouldn't really be good um for an episode of Vixen because there's just not a lot about her and I would have to talk a lot about men uh, but I decided to do it because I saw another photo of her like two weeks ago and I, I like was drawn back into it. So I was like, definitely want to do an episode on her regardless, you know. So I know this one was a little bit different, but I hope you guys still enjoyed it. Um, let's just, you know, celebrate Beverly, Shemeca Ash and just, you know. Talk about the good things, her beauty, her style, all of that. She was that girl, apparently. The girls in Harlem still talk about her, how fashionable she was. She really had, you know, the style. And you know, when you are a cis girl and you can walk in them balls and actually win like she did. Wow. Like, she was really that girl. So, yes, y'all, that is the end of the story. And that is the end of this episode. Like I said, I know it was different. Um, but hopefully it was still a good story. 
Um, and I hope you guys liked it. If you guys would like a similar episode on another person, please let me know who, like I said, I enjoy true crime. I would love to do another episode, um, that is similar. Just let me know. And yeah, that is pretty much it. Y'all we're coming up on the season finale, the third season. It's crazy. I can't believe it. I cannot believe it. So, um, if you don't know the, the last episode of every season is a film review finale. I usually review a group of films, um, or a group of TV shows. We do some fun polls. We do announcements, all that good stuff. I'm so excited for you guys to hear the one for this season. I hope you guys enjoy that too and i hope you guys keep listening and i will see y'all next week for an all new episode bye thank you for listening to vixen if you like today's episode don't forget to leave a review if you have a submission feel free to email vixenpodcast at gmail.com we'll be back next week with an all new episode